to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Today on the show, we have Jen Anderson, and Jen and I have never actually met, but it kind of feels like we have. Back, it was a little while ago now, Bean Ninjas sponsored two different entrepreneurs to go along to an event called DC Austin. And many of you on the podcast will have heard of us or heard me mention the DC or Dynamite Circle, which is a community which we're quite involved in. And we weren't able to attend this particular event. We were event sponsors and we decided that it would be beneficial to provide an opportunity for two others to go along to that event and mix with the people in that community. And Jen was actually one of the applicants for that scholarship and one of the winners. And so today we have Jen here on the show to talk a little bit about her career so far and also her transition into running her own business. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Jen, we always like to start with a little bit of the backstory. So could you describe some of the things that you've done in your career and and also what your transition into running your own business looked like? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say um, I worked for a long time before I became an entrepreneur. Um, I guess when I was coming up in, in you know, the U.S., it was... Um, you know, the internet was around, but things like Amazon Prime and all these different businesses and social media applications didn't exist. And um, I kind of always felt like I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I was always very good at school. So I went to a good college. Um, I was uh, living on the East Coast. And I, you know, that what you do is if you go to a good school and you're smart, you try to get a job on Wall Street. Um, so I did that for a while. Um, and I worked on trading floors for um, a bunch of years. And then I actually um, decided to go back to business school. And at the time, I was really into social entrepreneurship, um, things like microfinance. So I spent a lot of time in India, South Africa, and a couple of other places working on those efforts. And then also um, went to business school at the University of Michigan to get my MBA. Um, And coming out of business school, uh, I actually ended up back at a bank, at Citibank, uh, but this time uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, business school is very expensive in the U.S., especially if you go to a two-year uh, higher top program. Um, so I was broke and definitely needed to start paying back some of those student loans. And two, I joined Citi uh, to be in an international rotational program. Um, where I would kind of get to work in uh, basically every six months, the plan was to work in um, all different business units from sit for city all over the world. So it was, I was always very internationally focused and was so excited (laughs) to to have that opportunity and was ready to go live in Asia or uh, somewhere interesting like that. Um, But the problem was it was 2008 and uh, crisis ensued, uh, if, if you remember, with all the banks and the banking situation and the housing crisis. Um, and so uh, I didn't end up actually being able to go abroad much for the job because there were a lot of budget cuts. But um, what I did do is came out to San Francisco for the first time um, and started working out here. And this is really when I kind of got a taste for um, everything that was going on in the startup land, uh, different entrepreneurs. I just hadn't really had exposure to that before then. 
Um, so I worked out here for a while, um, then got transferred back to New York and actually ended up in Citi's Innovation and Venture Capital Group, um, which was definitely the best place to be at City during the Great Recession. Um, got to work on some really cool things, got to go to London for a while, did get to go work in Asia finally for a bit. Um, and then when we decided to open up an office out here in Palo Alto, I kind of jumped at the opportunity to come out here, um, working in that venture capital group. And what I was doing was um, working on a lot of mobile payments stuff, different innovation initiatives, working with startups uh, that we could t- take an investment in, and then also um, strategically bring into the company to, to help with some disruptive innovation inside the company. What I found was... I loved helping those startups get City as a customer. Didn't really like working at City, but I but I really enjoyed working with the startups and uh, the CEOs and all just the entrepreneurial vibe there. Um, so after that, I hopped into startup land here um, and became a product manager and did that for a couple of years. I was at um, a couple of startups, one that uh, I don't think it had a great, uh, very successful acquisition by Amazon. It was more like a buying for parts type thing. But um, so that was my first startup. Then I went to um, another, a second startup. And then I ultimately landed at a company called Lending Club, um, where I was uh, quite senior in the product organization for um, several years. And that was one that went from, um, you know, I was, who knows, employee 100 and something, all the way up to 2000 employees, and um, it actually ended up IPOing while I was there, so that was a great experience. And then it also had a scandal while I was there, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, which you can Google and learn all about. But um, the CEO and a couple of other senior executives were doing some not so, you know, upright things. Um, and the stock actually went from I think it was at fifteen, sixteen something dollars down to like three dollars and twenty five cents, where it's pretty much been trading ever since. Um, so while I was at uh, Lending Club, that's where I was kind of like, okay, this startup scene is a bit crazy. Look at this. Look at this venture-backed company. Um, you know, I, I've always kind of wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I thought I was going to get some startup experience and then go um, raise a ton of money from VCs and have my own startup, my own big startup in Silicon Valley. But I kind of started changing my thoughts and my priorities about what kind of entrepreneur I wanted to be. Um, I didn't really like what I was seeing where I worked or the environment around me. Um, I, I think I got a little bit over that scene. Um, at the same time, I also uh, had a child. So um, early last year, I had a baby girl. And um, we actually moved a bit further away from the city just to have more space. Um, as you know, it's very expensive out here. And between not being inspired by my company, having this child and the commute... And listening to all these amazing podcasts like the um, Tropical MBA by the Dynamite Circle guys and Empire Flippers and Pat Flynn, all that stuff. I was just listening to that stuff for so long. And I was like, all right, I really want to make the leap. I really want to make the leap. Um, and then I think what really was the catalyst was um, uh, all those factors. But then what really was the catalyst was you, I think, um, by applying to that ticket and winning um, and going to DC Austin and seeing what was possible. It's, it's, it's changed my whole perspective from just like dipping my toes in the water to like, I can make this happen. I can do this. I'm in it. Um, And so I've spent most of this year 
doing that, working, working on my own stuff and really, really, really putting myself into um, entrepreneurial shoes for the first time ever. I'm so glad to hear that that ticket was worthwhile and has made a difference. And what yeah. an interesting backstory to go from Wall Street and then working with, alongside startups to working in startups and then thinking about whether you were going to have your own venture back startup to now having a slightly different perspective on what it means to be an entrepreneur or to run a business. And yeah, I feel like I'm one, a career career switcher. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great definition. Yeah. And so what are you working on now? Um, yeah, so uh, right now I, I'm focused on a new business that I acquired. And just to give the backstory on that, so when I did apply for um, the Austin conference where you, you uh, gifted me the ticket, um, I had a... I had a little uh, side business or that I was really working on hard at the time called Mai Tai, um, M-A-I-T-I-E.com. And I had started it with a uh, coworker and friend from my prior job, Lending Club. Um, it was his idea. Bas- basically, he had lived in Hawaii and he used to make these bow ties from old Aloha shirts. Um, so they were vintage. They were super cool, super funky. Um, and... Uh, you know, he loved wearing them. People around us loved them. So we're like, okay, let's make a business. And we, you know, set up a Shopify store, did a ton of marketing. Um, but, uh, and that's when I applied to DC Austin and was able to go. Um, but over this past year, I think I've learned a couple, couple of lessons that made me decide to ultimately uh, shut down that business, which we're in the process of doing right now. Um, I think the first was, uh, my co-founder what just wasn't as in it as I was. Um, and it was a little tough because we, we definitely have the 50-50 split. And um, he ended up moving to New York for his, his full-time job. So the distance didn't help. And then the commitment wasn't really there. And then it was just kind of like, well, I don't know, like, where, where, is this get, where is this headed? Where is this going? I can't, I can't keep doing everything. There's so much to do because we're, you know, manufacturing and marketing and everything, operations, finance. Um, also it's not a super scalable product because every piece is custom. Um, basically we were buying old Aloha shirts from Goodwill and, uh, ripping them up and turning them into ties and you only get two bow ties per shirt. So logistics wise, it was just super heavy, you know, having to take pictures of every single one, uh, put it up on the site and then, you know, both get sold. And then suddenly you have to go take more pictures of another one. (laughs) It's just a lot of, a lot of work. Uh, so definitely not not scalable in the way that I was looking for. And then I think the third thing was that the biggest lesson I learned was you have to like, you don't have to be an expert in your market. You definitely, I had to know a little bit about fashion, which I could learn, but I didn't know how to reach the target customer. The target customer was like, was, you know, a millennial guy, a fashion forward millennial guy. And I didn't really know, I couldn't figure out a good way to reach them. So that's when I started thinking, okay, the next business that I do 100%, 100%, I'm going to make sure I, I know how to get to the target market. I know how to market to them and find them. Um, so kind of came to that realization and was looking for what to do next and um, had started learning about how people buy online businesses that um, have been successful and the the founder wants to sell it for whatever reason. Um, but the cool thing is the business has revenue is probably profitable, um, has product market fit. It's just past that product market fit stage. So you're not starting from scratch and having to deal with, you know, those really rough days of like 
building something, bootstrapping, funding it, all that stuff. You can get something that actually has revenue coming in the door from day one. And if you look at this space, it's getting more and more popular, but it's still kind of the wild, wild west there. So um, there's a couple of brokers. Uh, there's a lot of ways to find deals. And like the multiples are really good. It's, it, you know, you can get a 30%, 40% return um, annually on your money. Um, if you, you know, maintain this business or even grow this business, it could do even better. Um, and there's so many, and there's like all these different types of businesses. And it just sounded so interesting to me. So um, basically, since I decided to shut down my tie, I was looking into different businesses that I could buy, what did a ton of due diligence. Um, and then ultimately, just two weeks ago, uh, closed on a business called scrapbookingstore.com, which is a monthly e-commerce subscription business for uh, scrapbooking kits. So every month we... Um, send a a brand new scrapbooking kit to our subscribers that we pick and select and fulfill and send to them. Um, And it's been a cool experience. It's e-commerce. So it leverages all this stuff that I learned from building Mai Tai and trying to market Mai Tai, but it doesn't have the problem I had with Mai Tai, which is like, A, I'm doing it by myself. So I'm a solopreneur now. And B, I totally know how to reach these customers. And I'm super excited about all the different ways that I can market to them. I think you've made some great points there, especially that lesson with my tie around having a way to reach the target customers. But I've got lots mm-hmm. of questions for you around the process of acquiring this scrapbooking business. So, mm-hmm. how, and probably some of your prior experience would have helped with this too. So, what was your approach? Did you select a certain number of businesses and then apply some kind of decision making filters? How did you actually approach finding the right business and, and what sort of things were you looking at? Um, so in the beginning, I was looking at um, I was looking at everything that was out there, and there's probably like six or seven different types of online businesses that you can buy, and I was looking at all of them. Um, I got really interested in like Amazon FBA, right, fulfillment by Amazon businesses, um, and I started like I even went into deep diligence on on one, and uh, I started just getting a little a little nervous about the Amazon world and. If you only sell on Amazon, you know you don't own your customer. Amazon does, and that whole thing. So, um, and they're you know they're really expensive. There's a lot of inventory, um, so there's cash flow constraints. So it was something they kind of backed down from that type of business. Um, and so I just did a lot of research and trial and error and looking at companies. The the actual the type of business that I really wanted to buy was um, a SaaS business, a B2B SaaS business. B2B is business to business. And I've d- as a product manager, I did a lot of business to business product management. So um, I knew that market. It's, it's generally easier, I think. It's easier to sell to other companies than it is to consumers. Um, and the thing about SaaS type businesses like that is, you know, there's not a lot of working capital needs. Um, you definitely don't have all these inventory constraints. And it's recurring revenue. So I thought that sounded awesome. Um, and that's what I was like dead set on. And that's what I was talking to all the brokers about. The businesses that I started seeing through that were um, were kind of... Were not... A lot of them were declining. They weren't on the up and up. And now that I'm looking back, I'm like, well, of course. Like, you know, uh, entrepreneur that has an awesome SaaS business that's doing amazingly well. Like, why would they sell it? They just, you know, milk the, the, the income every month. Um, 
So a lot of the ones that were coming through, they were decent businesses, but they were on the decline. And I was just like, I was just a little worried that for my first business, maybe I shouldn't go for something that's like steeply declining like that. Because like, what if I can't turn it around? Um, what are the worst case scenarios? So I just tried to be like really thorough in in my search and what I was looking for. Um, I also pulled in some friends from Wall Street and you know business school friends that I know to help me look at the deals, which is which is interesting because they work on multi million dollar uh, M and A deals, and I had them looking at my <laughs> my small acquisitions. But you know they were really helpful. Um, you know lawyers looking at the legal agreements, that sort of thing. And then what happened was this one came through on Flippa. Which is like, you know, it's kind of like the eBay for selling businesses. It's really wild west. You know, it's just um, a website where people list everything and people warn you there's a lot of scams on there. Um, but this one came through and I saw it and I had a call with the sellers and then I had another call. Um, and uh, I, don't, I just, there was just something about, it. I just knew I was just like scrapbooking. That is, you know, a crowd of people that are super passionate about their hobby. Um, they're a captive audience. This is a good product. It has good revenue. It's not doing amazingly well. And it wasn't because the owners just got too busy and they just kind of were letting it ride. They weren't doing too much with it. And so, um, I don't know. It just like, it ended up being like, like a gut feeling that I knew just from all my experience that like this was a good market. Um, and then making sure the financials were we're pretty solid and tight. So it's not a SaaS business, but it is a recurring revenue business. And it actually came with a SaaS component, which I was super excited about. They had built their own um, CRM system to manage their customers. And they had built it to integrate with the platform that they're running the business on, which is called CrateJoy. It's like Shopify, but it's for subscription businesses. Um, and I was thinking, oh, well, once I see this CRM and poke around, maybe this is something that I could white label and sell to the other businesses that are running on CrateJoy. So maybe there's this, this other SaaS component that's, you know, an asset that's not even valued in the sale that, that, um, you know, I could do something with. Yeah. And so once you'd spoken with the owners a couple of times and you thought, actually, you could see some potential with this business, what kind of due diligence did you do? in order to get comfortable making the acquisition? Um, what kind of due diligence did I do? A lot. I looked at their financials. I built my own model as well because I just wanted to see, okay, if if I don't grow... It's a subscription business. So every month there are people... It's consumer, right? So every month there's people that are leaving and there's people... And then you've, you've got to get new subscribers. Um, so I kind of built my own model, assuming there's flat growth. Uh, what, what would it look like? Is it still a good business? Is it still at a good multiple? Um, so a lot of stuff there. I actually had, um, a, a live video call with them where I had them log into their Stripe account and just show things to me, um, and kind of picked apart some of their expenses and made sure everything was right there. Um, what other, I, Took a look at their website, read a lot of their blog posts, um, looked at some of their customer testimonials. I did not reach out to any customers. I think that would have been something good to do. Um, but actually, you know, call up some of their existing customers and see how they like the product. Um, and maybe even some of their vendors. I did not do that, but I think that'd be a good approach to take. Um, and what else did I do? I think, I think that's, I kind of looked at the competitive landscape as well. Um, I looked at their social media presence. Um, they had a really big email list that they actually 
hadn't been utilizing. They haven't sent an email out since July. So that's an underutilized asset. Um, they had a Pinterest account that they hadn't really spent too much time on, which I knew Pinterest is, is where this business can really explode. And then they have like a really strong Facebook following and a really strong Instagram following. So I was just kind of looking at those and saw a ton of potential there, you know, looking at their Facebook page, reading comments, Instagram, same thing. Um, I think what also tipped it is when I was at the Dynamite Circle BKK, right? The, the conference in Bangkok uh, just recently, I went to a session um, by uh, one of the DC members and he gave a presentation on uh, how he's like this 30-year-old dude who runs a quilting company um, and how he markets to grandmas, basically. Um, <laughs> and just, yeah, and it was this amazing presentation on how he markets to them, how he builds a community, how he comes up with product ideas, how he finds ways to target them in Facebook. And I was just sitting there because this was, this business was on my mind and I had to make a decision about what to do. And, um, I was after his presentation, I was like, this is this, this is like exactly what I need to do. Same type of audience. And, you know, look at how successful he's made his business. This, you know, I want to, I want to go for it too. I, I think there's a lot of potential here. And so once you've done the due diligence, what did the negotiation phase look like? Was there, um, were you all coming in fairly similar around the multiple and the sale price or was there some negotiation? So I, so the interesting thing is I looked at the business and I looked at their profit um, and most of the brokers, um, what they do is they do three times annual profit or um, 30 times monthly profit, you know, some one, one or the other usually. So assuming their profit was accurate, I looked at it and I said, okay, if I turned around and sold this tomorrow with one of the brokers, I would still be, I would make some money on the deal. Like, I feel like it's undervalued. Um, and I, I made an offer with, to them. Um, and they came back and they wanted, uh, they wanted, I think, yeah, they wanted $10,000 higher than what I had offered. Um, and then they asked if we could, <laughs> this is really bad, but they, they asked if that we could move the deal into a private deal off of Flippa. Um, so they could save on the brokerage fee, which I think was like 12%. And then as a result, they gave me a discount on the price for doing that. Um, and I was comfortable doing that because we, uh, we used escrow.com, which is like a, a way to uh, put your money in escrow so that they know you have, you have an, every intention of going through. And then they kind of start assigning over all the logins and the domain and everything to you. And then once you have all of that, you check everything and you release payment. Um, so it's just a great middleman escrow company. Um, so I was okay cause we were using that and I, um, had a lawyer, I hired, had a lawyer that drafted the, uh, the legal agreement. So, um, and I felt pretty comfortable with them as sellers. And the reason they offered it to me was they, they said they had other offers and I know they had other offers because once I even got control of the accounts, people started writing me and they said, Hey, we saw your listing on Flippa. Is it for sale? <laughs> um, so I know there was a lot of interest, but they wanted to sell to me because they thought, um, you know, I was sincere and I would help build this community and I would take this community forward. I think it's important too, is like who the seller is. Like I wasn't some random firm, you know, behind a computer. Like I was um, this real person that was really interested in building this community because you know, they worked really hard to build this community. It's kind of their baby and they want to see it going into the right hands. Um, so yeah, I mean, most of that stuff 
was pretty straightforward. I think there were a couple of things that I didn't catch till later, which I feel, um, I feel a little mad at myself that I overlooked. There were two things in particular, but then we, we kind of negotiated and came to agreeable terms on them. The first was they had this one-time shop where they were selling um, old scrapbooking kits when they had some leftovers from each month. And they had, they had it in their revenue. And then as we were going through the revenue, I was like, wait a minute, are you guys sending me these kits? And they weren't, they wanted me to buy them from them. And I'm like, well, how do you have this as a line item in your revenue? If there's like, it's not true. It's not true income and revenue that I'm taking over. Um, And so uh, we kind of had a disagreement about that, but then we eventually came to terms and they sent me like a hundred kits to get started. Right. So that I had that store too. Um, And then the second thing uh, that I, that I overlooked initially and I feel really dumb about is um, it's a subscription business. They have monthly subscribers, but they also have people that subscribed for 12 months and prepaid people that subscribed for nine months and prepaid people that subscribed for three months and prepaid. So they booked that revenue back, you know, when, and I'm the one stuck fulfilling it. Right. So I have the liability. Um, and that definitely became a sticky point um, because, and you're an accountant, so you can appreciate this. They, they said they do cash accounting and that it wasn't really a liability. And I said, no, 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 it is. <laughs> we went back and forth for a long time about whether or not that was a liability um, because I, had said I would purchase the assets of the business and the legal agreement said I was only purchasing the assets. Um, and then basically we just went back and forth for a while. Um, and that got kind of, I think a bit, a bit heated and, you know, risk of the deal not going through, but then we ultimately came to agreement and we were both okay with it. And um, it was a slight reduction in the purchase price, which made it okay for me. Cause I knew how much of the liabilities I was assuming and I was okay with that. And so we signed and, that was it. And then what happened next? So you've you've done the due diligence, been through the negotiation phase, the money's in escrow, and then the logins and the handover has happened. And then mm-hmm. you've probably been thinking about the business for a while through that whole purchasing process. So what did you work on? What were the first couple of things once you took over the business that you decided to focus on? Um, it is still happening because I am, I am knee deep in it. And they... Um, you know, I'm only on my second week and, and, you know, basically last Monday was my, my first day. Um, immediately I had to fulfill. So they do all the fulfillment. And so, um, November shipments all were shipped to my house and keep in mind, I'd gotten back from, uh, Bangkok the day before. (laughs) So I come and there's, there's boxes of scrapbooking kits at my door and, uh, I've got to start fulfilling, you know, November customers are waiting. So um, it's been a lot of learning how to do the fulfillment, learning how to do the op- operations, learning how to do the customer service, because um, I also have an agreement with them where they're supporting me for a couple of weeks. So I need to take advantage of that while that's there and ask any questions. How does their CRM work? What do I do in this situation and that situation? So it's all been focused just on getting the fulfillment done, getting the operations down, making sure there's no like big issues that are happening that like, I don't know how to solve that I need to go to them for. Um, and also figuring out how to order from the vendors, right. How to pick out the kits for the next month. Um, you know, how, how to, how to pick out product and work with the vendors. So, um, most of this stuff has been that I think only in the last two days, I'm like thinking, okay, I gotta get, I gotta switch to growth. I gotta switch to growth now. Um, 
what am I going to focus on? And uh, so I've been doing some things um, around the marketing and just getting sorted there. So really diving into the analytics, understanding where our traffic comes from, um, looking at the email list, uh, checking out our abandoned cart app. Um, I've uh, started focusing on Pinterest and I just hired someone to help me with Pinterest because I, I still believe that's going to be a huge channel. Um, posting on Instagram constantly, posting on Facebook as much as I can, trying to engage with the community. Um, and also working with, like I said, they're, they're on this platform called CrateJoy. So I reached out to CrateJoy Marketing Department because they're about to start running their holiday promotions and um, asked to be a part of that. So, uh, and also just thinking about what kind of marketing materials I can create for the holiday season because, you know, Black Friday in the US, which is the day after Thanksgiving, which is next Friday is, you know, a huge day. So you don't want to miss out on that, you know, even if you're still trying to just learn from a, learn about your business. Well, we're doing this interview at the right time. I must say only <laughs> a week and a half after the whole transaction and it's all nice and fresh. And it sounds like there's so yeah. many different interesting things so that you could be working on once you've got fulfillment and the operations and kind of done that transition and, and learned from the owners. And I don't know if this is too early to say, but where do you see the business going in a couple of years' time? Um, I decided I want to triple it in the next six months. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm crazy, but I just like was, you know, as I was getting ready in the morning, a few mornings ago, I was like, I need to like put a, and I need to put a stick in the ground. I need to like have something, have a goal that I'm working toward. Um, and so I think that's manageable and that's, that's what I want to do at its peak when they were running it. It's about, it was about double what they have now. So I'm pretty sure, surely I can triple it if I'm focusing on this, um, really hard full time. Um, but I would say, you know, there were four people on their team and there's only me. So, <laughs> so it's, it's a lot, but, um, I want to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to triple it. Um, I want to grow it. I hope it's a amazing business. Um, I, I really love the art of doing the deal and investing in businesses. So like maybe down the road, once I triple it, um, I can turn around and, and sell it and then take that money and move into the next thing. Maybe in a year's time, we'll have you back on the show and you can talk about that and the next business that you, that you've just acquired <laughs> or turned around. That, that would actually be I hope so. Yeah, making use of all of the skills that you've developed along the way too. And I was going to ask, and I think you kind of answered it there around whether you would be able to focus on this full time. And so you haven't, have you had to change anything so that you can focus on it full time or shutting down my time meant that you are able to, to create the space to work on this business? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had to, I had to shut down my time because it's, that was just so much time. Um, so I think that that website is already kind of, uh, off, like you can't even buy on the website right now. I think I'm just going to put all that product on Etsy and try to liquidate it. Um, I also do some consulting, um, in product management. Uh, and so I, I've had to let, uh, that stuff wind down. That's kind of been income to help pay for things while, while I was, you know, searching for a business, um, but I had to kind of let that stuff wind down and yeah, I'm gonna, um, give this a go full time for a while and hope that I can make some inroads. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for coming on the podcast. It's been such an interesting story. 
from the background <laughs> right through to, and, and especially the the winding down of my time and then the whole acquisition. Did you have any parting thoughts um, just to round it all out? Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I think I think shutting down my tie. I think people people love to talk about fail fast, but then like like when it is actually your baby and your business, I think it's hard to admit that you're that's what you're doing. You're shutting it down, but I mean that's what I'm doing. I think it's not. It's not. I'm confident it's not the right business. So um, that. Uh, you know, no fear, right? Move forward, uh, cut your losses and move forward. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, you know, again, just a, just a huge thank you for you to you. Um, you know, you've been such a catalyst for me and, you know, I'm so appreciative and I hope you realize that, you know, that you, you definitely helped change my path. So I really do appreciate that. And I'm very grateful. Oh, amazing. And lastly, what is where is the best place for people to either get in touch with you or to find out more about your scrapbooking business? Um, the website is www.scrapbookingstore.com. Um, probably you can email me there, info at scrapbookingstore.com. That's probably easier to say on a podcast than my personal email address. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm checking that all the time. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, I think it's, it's, I just have to double check what the address is since I'm so new, but uh, yeah, it's scrapbooking store. Um, and we're on Pinterest, the same and Facebook, we're everywhere. So all you aspiring scrapbookers out there, come join our platform. <laughs> and I also love talking about entrepreneurship and, um, career changes, uh, all that stuff. So um, just feel free to reach out if you want to talk about that. I love I love advising people and helping people on that front too. Fantastic. Well, we're going to have to get you back on in another 12 months to hear about the evolution of this business and uh, what's, yeah. what's on next for you. Thanks again, Jen. Mm-hmm.